Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, July 26th. That means it's time for another episode of the Power Hour. I've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll be talking to them. Then we will be getting to your calls and questions. So go ahead and line them up. 855-950-3835. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all to do with maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, electronics, emissions, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial. Phone lines are open right now. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to bring on the team from Pittsburgh Power. Oh, and it looks like Bruce might be on another line just coming in. All right, uh, Pete and Leroy, you guys there this morning? Oh, Kevin, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind yeah. today? So, um, well, a couple of things. One uh, first topic would be OPS. We now have a line kit for the 2023 pack cars. They, they made some changes, so we had to come up with a different line kit. Um, so we're ready for that. And on the new pack cars, instead of having a spin-on filter and a cartridge filter, it's simply a, a cartridge filter. So they did away with one of their filters. So meaning the, the, the OPS is even more important now with that factor that they went to one filter instead of two. Got it. Probably a combination filter, but I can't imagine it's going to filter as well as two filters would. Right. Right. Okay, good. And the other thing is big cam calls. I mean, five years ago, if you would have said, do you think you'd be selling big cam parts? I'd have said no. <laughs> and it's just it's crazy. Busy. End of the day, I, I get a phone call. A guy says, you have big cam parts. I said, I should have them. You know, where we what, you know, what do you have? <clears throat> Excuse me, what do, we, what do you have? I said, I think so. Let me go look. And I did. And I said, okay, there are three, I was going to say 350 a piece. And he said, I don't care. I just need them. No one else has them. He wow. Some uh, price again. Uh, and, and let's face it, it's pretty affordable to throw cylinder kits in at $350 a hole. Yeah. Um, yeah. Compared to the newer stuff. But he's like, how fast can you get them to me? I need you know, main bearings, rod bearings, headset, but. That's literally 75% of my phone calls is big cams. Wow. That's never just shocking. I know. I would have yeah. never thought that either. That's crazy. Huh? Yeah. Cause, yeah. It, it, it's busy. And, and a lot of people, and a lot of it is, hey, I just bought the truck. I, I found one sitting someplace. And, uh, and it's the same thing. They're tired of the logs. Uh, the emissions, but I'm, I'm just shocked how busy we stay with big camp stuff right yeah, now. Me too. Pat, as our injectors is probably two and a half weeks out. So if you would send me a pump to do, it's about two and a half weeks before he gets to it. You know, the, uh, the one thing I could see doing in today's world as crazy as it's gotten with parts and shortages, and it doesn't look like it's going to get better anytime soon. I could see successful owner operators just saying, look, why don't I spend 15 or 20,000 on a, an older truck with a mechanical engine, put some money into it. And if I need it, it's there. It's a backup. And it's, you know, we could keep one of those trucks running today so much easier than we can a new truck if we had to. Oh, for sure. There's just so much less to go wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, and most of the parts that could go wrong, you could either use a different part or you could make something or, you know, it, it's mechanical. It, we know how to, you know, make a part if we have to on certain things or find one somewhere else. Or, But the, the big thing is what you just said. There are so many less failure points on one of those trucks. And a lot of, even like injectors, it might not be the right one, but we can make one work and you can get away with it. There's not an ECM saying, wait, that, that's not going to work. You yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. On, on mechanical parts, yeah. we can MacGyver things a little more. Yep, we can throw a pump virtually on, from any small cam or big cam would get you home. Yeah, um, yeah. Injectors, again, we, it, hey, it's not the right part number, but if we change the cup or we change the flow, it'll be fine. Um, turbos, you got some Ranger. Okay, it's a little sluggish, but you can make do. Where you, you couldn't do that on right. a truck, and it's right or it's not at all. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of injectors, I was watching. Uh, was screaming hot here the other day, so I wasn't going to go outside and do anything. So we were binge watching um, a show on cruise ships, and the ship was in the port and they were getting ready to leave and they had to replace an injector. The damn Mm -hmm. injector was like almost five feet long. I mean, one person could barely carry one of these injectors. It was kind of funny to watch. Yeah. I've seen a couple of those series where they're doing, and they literally crawl inside the engine. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funny thing was, even though this injector is so big, one person was having a hard time carrying it, changing that injector was pretty darn easy. It was way easier than what we have to do on a truck. They had this big cover. They take the cover off. The injector's right there. You know, they take off a hold-down bolt. They pull the thing out. Changing the injector is actually pretty simple. And they seem to do a lot of repair. You know, shows I watch, even with, like, military ships, uh, they do a lot of repairs. Oh, at sea. Yeah. And yeah. after you're not getting a tow truck at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they spend a lot of time at sea and they're a long way away from port. So, yeah, I guess they have to. That would be something to spend a week uh, working on one of those engines. That'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. It's different when you're like a player, but you're, you're like in the engine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not <with> Leroy. <laughs> I'm out here. I'm caught around those liners. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of wild. Um, I can't even remember like the numbers, like horsepower and torque and all that stuff. Cause it's so crazy. It doesn't even register, but, uh, it, it's funny because you look at the engine, you can identify all the parts. I mean, it's a diesel engine. It's just really, really big. And they're pretty low RPM as well. I believe they are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty common for them to run around 900 or a thousand, I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought that was still too fast. I thought it may slower. that may be. They may even run some of those really big ones slower than that. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, um, Leroy, do you have your headset on? I do. Okay. Maybe put your mic a little closer. You were doing this weird kind of fading out thing. Oh, I don't know. Jordan's messing with something oh, that's over there. Much I'm better. That's much better. Yeah. There we go. Change the dial. That was mine. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's messing with the buttons. Um, all right, Pete, do you have anything else? Nope. That is it for me. All right. Leroy. Yeah, one other thing. Oh, yeah, so go ahead. Nope. 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 N
any of the new trucks. So if we don't have a line kit, if someone comes out with a, uh, has a new truck, wants to put an OPS, and we don't have a, a line kit, give us a call. We'll get one made up so that we do have it. So I'm sure we're going to run into uh, some of the newer trucks that we don't have the line kits for. So yeah, you know, make that's a good point. Back in the day, we used to have to make kits for all of them. They didn't have line kits back then. We used to have to make them up. Makes it a lot easier when they have Oh, much easier. Yeah. All right. Leroy, what's on your mind this week? You sure you're done, Pete? I'm done. Sure. Positive. <laughs> all right. Um, I had an interesting one uh, remotely. Uh, there was a guy that we did a tune on ISX for. And he kept complaining that um, he was having fault codes for misfires after we did we have done the tune, um, and we we revisited it two or three times, and we can't quite figure out why it has a misfire. And um, a lot of these things are like checking injectors, or checking this, or checking that. I mean, this is like a this is a really new truck. It's like a twenty or twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that just something in the back of my mind just remembered that there was a service service bulletin on quick serve on Cummins that, that was, if you put an aftermarket exhaust gas pressure sensor on and it's not a genuine OEM one, certain aftermarket ones give the ECM a wrong reading, which makes it throw a, a false misfire code. So I, I had talked to the guy and he said, yeah, when we, we did the tune, you had suggested that I change this exhaust pressure sensor because, uh, it was reading a little bit off with key on. So normally what you do to check those is you just turn the key on, the engine not running, and the exhaust pressure should read the same as the barometric pressure. So I saw that his was a little off, and I suggested that he changed it. Well, he put an aftermarket one on, and that uh, ended up causing uh, his misfire codes. Holy so I cow. thought that was pretty Holy cow. I, mean, I don't mind if, if <sighs> First off, if you wouldn't have been reading bulletins and paying attention to that kind of stuff, which a lot of people don't, um, you wouldn't have caught this. If you wouldn't have remembered that you saw something about that, how hard would this be to troubleshoot if you didn't know that? Yeah, because the the like logic and the way that it figures out how the engine is misfiring, it uses the exhaust pressure sensor to figure that out. And um, that's... That would be next to like impossible to figure out. It was kind of crazy because yeah. it, it read okay. The key on, but it must be while it's running. It it uh, it gave a bad sensor reading, and I remember I saw that on, like I said, I saw it on Cummins, and I was like, that's kind of weird. And then it just brought back to just something sparked in the back of my head, and that guy was ready to drop. You know, I don't know what's the set of injectors, Pete, for an ISX six or seven thousand. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. there were wow. those piece. And I don't blame the guy because they're having a hard time getting those sensors. I got this one off of Amazon. Well, it well, didn't work. So. You know, here we go back to the difference between mechanical and electronic. So here's a case where the part is supposed to work. It looks right. It fits right. Everything plugs in and bolts up and does everything it's supposed to do. And yet it won't function properly. And how would you know that? And I just dealt with this when I was setting up all the audio stuff for the new show and trying to work on, you know, a mobile setup for, you know, some of our hosts that are on the road all the time. And I, I spent an entire day, day trying to chase down one stupid problem 
I couldn't get one thing to work. And it turns out that when you use adapters from like standard USB to USB-C, the adapter looks the same. You plug it in the exact same way, but they don't function the same way internally. Almost everything works, but that one problem. And I don't even remember how I figured it out. I think I just happened to be trying something and put a different adapter in and then things started working. And it turns out that some of those adapters don't always work the way they're supposed to. And I've seen like for like stuff like that where you need like a powered adapter, but you know, places will sell unpowered, like passive adapters, like, Oh, it works just fine. But the sensor, like the one you're trying to convert doesn't have power on it. So it'll never work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's challenging. Boy, that, I don't know. That could have been one of those trucks that somebody just either dealt with that or eventually sold it because somebody wouldn't have figured it out. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a new one. I, I got really lucky that I remembered that. I yeah. Like, I don't know. It was like, uh, maybe send the injectors out. I don't know. Yeah. That's a tough one. Good catch. All right. What yeah. else you got? Um, that was pretty much it. So. All right. All, I had. all right. Time to hear from Mr. Mallinson. Bruce, welcome. Well, I thank you, Kevin. I have several things. All right. Um, about once a week, I have to explain to people over the phone how you check your, if you don't have a computer for a miss. And sometimes a computer won't pick up the miss. And if the engine's hot, I tell them to take a bucket of water, two shop rags with the hood tilted. And if it's at a certain RPM, whether it's 1,000, 1,200, whatever, or if it's at an idle, set your cruise to hold it right where it's missing. Stand by the exhaust manifold and touch one and six, two and five, three and four. Now, number one cylinder is up one cylinder is up in front by the radiator, number six is by the firewall. So one and six are sisters, two and five are sisters, and three and four are sisters. Three and four get hottest to fastest because they have the exhaust coming past them from the other two cylinders. So one and six stay cooler longer. But when the engine's really hot and you touch that manifold with those wet rags, it's going to sizzle right off. And you keep touching each port with the wet rag. And you'll sooner, you'll, you'll cool the manifold down to the point where the cylinder that is missing will stay wet. So if number two is wet and number five is dry, number two is your cylinder. So good old school. Maybe I had to do a video of that. Yeah. And refer people to that. Uh, When the engine's stone cold, you just start it up and you hold it and you touch the exhaust manifold with your fingers. Everyone says, well, I'll use a heat gun. Well, the heat gun works, but you got to make sure you're touching the same spot on each cylinder because if you're touching a spot that has thicker cast iron, it's giving you a false reading. Okay, next to buying parts online on eBay. Seems like people want to sell turbo parts on eBay. And a friend of mine, client, purchased a compressor wheel and housing 
for his 14 major Detroit. And I put it on, and he went from, with our turbo, he made 38-pound boost with the new wheel he put on, new wheel and housing, compressor side, fresh air side. He went from 38 down to 25, and it took a lot longer to spill up. Hmm. He went too big. It's the same as taking out your 355 rears or your 370s or 336s and putting in 228s and expecting to drive the truck in overdrive. Right. Whenever you, when we go down, when we drastically raise the gear ratio, the 264, 247s, 228s, you also are dropping down a gear to compensate. But you can't drop down a gear to spin the turbo. So when you go too big on the wheel, it's like going, like you had a Mastercraft ski boat, right? Yes. And it basically ran about a 12, 12, 12 pitch and 12 inch diameter prop. Is that what they were back then? That sounds about right. Yeah. But let's say you took that 12 pitch off and you put a 16 or an 18 on. It wouldn't pull you out of the water. Right. You think, well, I'm going to gain top speed. No, you don't gain top speed because you still have to push the boat through the water. And it's the same with going to that bigger wheel on the turbo. I'm going to get a whole lot more air. No, you don't because you don't have enough horsepower to turn that wheel. That wheel is going through the air like a propeller in water. Well, you know, we've talked about the so same. Be really careful. Yeah, we've talked about the same concept when we talk about some of these really, really fast gear ratios. And we, you know, if you calculate it out, the truck should go 130 miles an hour, except it's never going to right. be able to do that because it won't have the power to get through the wind to get up to that speed. Yes, your gear could run out to that speed, but you don't have the power to be able to do it. No, we correct that. <laughs> so now, when you buy them on eBay, you can't return them. Yeah, this particular guy spent fifteen hundred dollars. So he called me, wanted to go to a much larger turbine housing. Well, now when you go to a larger turbine housing, you're decreasing the velocity of the exhaust going through there to turn the turbine wheel. So I could have sold them a turbine housing and it would have only made matters worse. And, and I kept asking him all these questions and finally it came out what he did. I said, well, you got to call those people and send that wheel and housing back and they wouldn't take it back. Oh yeah. That's and this happened to me years ago on a K series Cummins, a 19 liter Cummins. There was a guy in Illinois. He built, turbochargers for tractor pullers. I heard about him, called him. He, he talked a good story, sent me this wheel and housing, and I put it on the guy's truck. And again, we lost a lot of boost, lost response. I called the guy, he wouldn't take it back. And I said, well, that's enough of that BS. I, <laughs> I won't deal with people right. like that and people that I don't know. And so... I'm getting that again. I'm getting phone calls of people buying stuff on eBay and when they have problems, they can't return it. Now they need my help. And you know what? I'm kind of reluctant to want the help because you already spent your money on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. Number two, 
you recall several months ago I told you we just spent $62,000 on new equipment for the dyno. I do recall. And Taylor, Taylor Dyno, shortly after that, supposed to send three techs out to install these parts. We still haven't got the three techs. Twice we've been <laughs> promised. We've shut the dyno down for a week because they said they're going to need it in three to four days. So we schedule around it. And they were supposed to be here this week. They're not here this week. So now they're promising us at least one tech for next week. And then I think about this. No wonder when you walk into some truck dealerships, you see parts being stored in their dyno room. <laughs> I just wonder how many truck dealerships, the owner of the dealership really isn't into trucks and performance. Does he really care about that dyno and his being accurate and it's keeping it up to date because these damn things are expensive. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, 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 the difference probably is it's one thing to just say, we're going to throw the truck on the dyno to see what, you know, the horsepower and torque is. That's what everybody thinks of. But how often do you guys use the dyno as a troubleshooting tool? We, we actually drive the truck and go through the gears and look at the rate of acceleration I've watched dyno operators, they get in, push it to the floor, let it go up against a dyno, and then they turn on the pump and fill it with the uh, drums with the water, because that's what's actually slowing it down is water. It's like two torque converters pumping water. And they suck it down to 1,200 RPM. Here's your horsepower, here's your torque, but they don't look at the rate of acceleration. They don't actually drive the truck on the dyno. But Leroy could explain that better than me because he's one that operates it. And another thing. One of the major truck dealers in our area, they have equipment to clean their DPFs, and they had one they couldn't clean. And they brought it to us, and, you know, we have the DPF Alternatives equipment. DPF Alternatives is a franchise based in Denver, Colorado, and uh, they have phenomenal system for cleaning. And we were able to save that DPF and save that guy several thousand dollars from having to buy a new one. Well, I have to say, when I was there this last time, two things I was just really, really impressed about. Um both in the same building, the setup for OPS, because I've been involved with OPS just about from day one. And I've been to the factory in Connecticut when it used to be there. And I, I used to think, what are they thinking? Um, they were in one of the highest priced real estate markets around for commercial real estate. And they had probably four times more square foot than what they really needed. And when I saw how you guys set up that building in such a small space, it was so much more efficient. And then when I saw the other side with the DPF alternatives, I was blown away by how comprehensive that program is. Yeah. Really does a great job. Yeah, I was just, I was shocked at how much, how many different procedures you guys put that DPF through. And then if you don't get the readings you want the first time, you go back and redo it a second time. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I was impressed. Okay.
All right. I'm ready. All right. Time to get to phone call. some phone oh, calls. Hey, oh, yeah. oh, I yeah. saw oh, one thing talking about used trucks. There's a rancher in eastern Montana has a 1997 FLB 120 for sale, D-Deck 3. He said he has every part we have on it, the radiator, charger, cooler, tire box, and the list goes on and on. He said the truck wants for nothing. It uh, gets taken care of at 3Ds. I don't, 3Ds in eastern Montana, it's a truck repair facility. And they can tell you all about the truck. And the upgrade that it needs, it needs a new interior. But the mechanics in this truck sounds really good. Fresh rebuild on the engine not too long ago, and he's asking $45,000. Hmm. So know, if anyone's I, interested. You know, I, I would have to say, um, you know, over the years of, you know, switch trucks and tried different things and you know for a long time i bought a truck based on the engine i always wanted you know a series 60 and the freightliner products i hated the trucks i just i just have never been happy with the the quality of a freightliner product and i i'd have to say though i think the fld might be the best truck freightliner ever built well um Gully Transportation, he loved the FLD 120. And when Freightliner dropped the FLD, then he basically dropped Freightliner. Yeah, I, I you know, he nothing. Was a Freightliner dealer, Michael Cunning. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, he was a Freightliner dealer. Yeah, I. And did... he had two body. Last time Pete and I were there, he had two body men. And he would buy FL, FLDs with N14s were his choice. And he had several hundred of them. And he would do body off the frame restoration. And when they were finished with those trucks, my God, they, they looked and performed brand new. They, they wow. might even looked a little better brand new <laughs> truck. Yeah, you know, there's nothing overly also, exciting about an FLD with an N14, but that may be one of the most practical trucks ever built. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, just just good the, uh, solid trucks. The fast fuel system was invented on an FLD one twenty with a four 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 coming. So, huh? Okay, interesting. All right, well let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started today in Utah. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey guys. Um, I thought, I thought of another question I wanted to ask while I was on hold. So how much does a, a normal engine fan, how many CFMs does that pull? And the reason why I ask is I talked to Steve Crone the other week when I saw him, and he has electric fan set up, and I'm just wondering how many CFMs do I need to look for if I want to go that route? Ooh, I used- Did you ask Steve? Uh, he he said his electric fan pulls four thousand. Four thousand CFM. He would be yeah, the guy that, that enough? would know all of those numbers. Um, I used to know all these numbers because we did this. We kind of gave up on the whole electric fan thing. We we've tried it several times. Okay. It, the one thing we definitely figured out, I, and I'm not sure about Steve's setup right now, is he using multiple fans. 
think he has one one big fan. I I don't remember. But yeah. I was looking at on Summit Racing, and they have like two 15-inch fans that pull like 6,500 CFM, which would be more than his. And that's kind of what we settled on was that if you were going to do it, it probably made more sense to use multiple smaller fans when you went with electric. Okay. All right. Well, that's just something I thought about on hold. But my main well, reason that, wait, is... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. What kind of truck do you have? 2000 Mac E7 460 Eaton 13 speed with 373 okay. rears. Okay, good. How how often is your fan on? Well, I'm pulling doubles and I pull some weight sometimes. So when it's it, it's been hot everywhere and on all those grades, it kicks on quite a bit off and on. So are you in the 130,000-pound range? Uh, no, maximum No, maximum 80,000. These doubles that I pull, I mean, they just pull like dogs, like a big, just a brick. What part of the country? All over. And that was my next question that you can go into, and this is for Bruce. Now, you say about running on the flats where you're – uh, pyrometer and your boost should be. Now I'm going to be going across I-70 across the Rockies here later on today or tomorrow. Where should I be looking to run my boost and my pyrometer? And that's the main question I was calling for is where well, should I have that going over major pulls? Where is your thermocouple in the exhaust manifold or the exhaust pipe? You mean the, uh, the, uh, the probe, the thermocouple, the, the, or the stinger, the probe. Or the probe yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh, okay. The probe. It's right after the turbo. Right after the about turbo. Five so. inch, yeah, probably about five inches. And you have to turbo. add three hundred degrees to that. So at a thousand, you're at thirteen hundred, and that's kind of your cutoff. Hey, hey, Brian. Okay. Hey, Brian. Yeah. Do Do you like to barbecue? Well, you know, pulling uh, the hill coming out of uh, off that Freedom Bridge yesterday, that bypass Hoover Dam and that big pool coming up and being so warm yesterday, my pyrometer was showing just about a thousand degrees. Got it. So I I downshifted and stuff and it started to come down. Yeah, I was just going to say the fuel economy right now in trucks is a lot like barbecue. Think about low and slow for everything. Low pyrometer, low oh, boost, slow speed. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, low and slow. That's that's the way to think about fuel economy. Okay. And next is, yeah, I just don't want to. What's your what's your turbo boost? What's the maximum boost that you've seen it make? Maximum is thirty one point five. Thirty one. And so I would. Here's I something would, unique uh, about my truck. I don't have a wastegate on my truck. Okay. Yeah, Mac never put one on here. Good. So I would probably pull the hill using uh, keeping it around 28 pounds of boost. 28 pounds? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way you have a little bit left over. And what's okay. your RPM range? Where's peak torque on your engine? Oh, probably. Oh, shit. I'm not really sure. Probably about sixteen to 1,700. 
Well, no, I'm, it's probably thirteen or fourteen hundred. Sure. But uh, sixteen to seventeen hundred to me is where I would pull that truck. Is where I'd keep the RPM. RPM when you're working hard is your is your friend. So. Yeah, that's what I've been doing this morning up I-15 and stuff, so just playing with it. So, All right, well, that's on all the, I need. On the, new, on, the, on the new trucks now, you know, it's a lot different, but you said right. yours was a 2015? No, 2000. Oh, I have, 2000. I have a real Mac motor, the E7. Yeah, E7. Yeah, okay. I don't have an MPA. Yeah. Where, where does your governor cut out at? Uh, I never took it that high. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I usually, the maximum RPMs I'll usually go up to is maybe 1,800. But usually I shift about 1,500. 18's still okay if you're going to work it hard. If you're going to work it hard, 18's okay because you're getting the piston out of the top dead center faster, which is where you generate a lot of pressure. Okay. All right. Good information. I appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. We are about to get the... uh, Oh, boy. I just dropped my own call on accident, so I got to get it back. Hold on a second. We'll figure this out. Host, you are now in the host room and can manage your callers from the Colin Studio web interface. Audio recording is. All right, let me get this figured out now that. Oh, uh, he's back. Uh, he's I'm, back. I'm back. I, I hung up on myself, of all things. Um, I was about to say that we're going to get the official word on the electric fans because we have Steve Crone on the line with us. Steve, welcome. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, I, 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 my ears were ringing. I had a call in here. Um, the uh, fan situation, I, I, anybody I talked to about it, I said, might not work in your situation. And, uh, you know, I removed my uh, clutch fan because it was giving me issues. And uh, it kind of works on this truck because of uh, how I, control the air. I've got the splitter in front of the truck, which kind of increases the, um, uh, the pressure in the middle, you know, and that, uh, removing the fan and shroud and all that improves the flow through the radiator. And I've got a belly pan between the tanks. So the air flows, you know, through the, uh, you know, past the engine that more smoothly. And, uh, if you just take your fans off and, and, uh, a, you know, I've got one bank of uh, two small fans that's uh, 4,000 cubic feet per minute, and half the, or over half the radiator is just sitting out there uh, free, and uh, it works. Um, I have actually have a hard time keeping the, the uh, temperature up. I very rarely use the fans because I try not to go heavy, and when you're pulling a mountain, you need more. But uh, there's plenty of room I could put another bank in. Um, so I, I, I just don't want people to, you know, go burning up their motors because Steve said it was okay. 
Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to kind of hear from you on this, because I know when we worked on it, we never came up with an easy solution. There was no plug and play on this whatsoever. The only I think I found one fan on the market that was kind of plug and play, but they said it was really only good up to about 400 horsepower just didn't move enough air and otherwise it was a lot of just figuring it out on your own a lot of fabrication a lot of playing around with things so it's not something i've been recommending to people yeah and 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 you might in installation when you're drilling the holes you might actually kind of slip with the drill and go into the uh to the radiator, I, you know that's a warning too. You know, unfortunately, yeah. my radiator's kind of cheap. You know, it's only six hundred bucks, but um, yeah, you know that uh, things can happen. Yeah, of course, when I took it all apart uh, and doing all this, I discovered my uh, uh, charge air cooler had a big old hole in it. I didn't even know it, and uh, I, you know, I had the power and. But I have the variable geometry turbocharger that was making up for the hole. Right, so, right. Hey, had um, I been pushing hard, I probably would have noticed it. But Matt also said I hadn't thought about this. Um, Matt said, "Are you still running Evans coolant?" Oh yes. yes. Okay. Two hundred fifteen so, degree thermostat. You know that's another reason it works. You know you don't have to worry as much if it gets a little warm. You're not going to boil, but. Uh, uh, I found that the 215 thermostats, rather than the original 225, is, is just about right. I think the 225 was a bit much. Um, and we got these uh, thermostats from Evans. They kind of poked around, and they, you know, because they they had a bunch of experiments, and uh, they found some 215. And I, I like it; works really well. Yeah, well, happy I, with it. How your truck was how I learned how to do the Evans. I did the, you and I did the conversion on your truck. It was yeah. the first one I did with Evans. How yeah. long ago was that? Man, that was back in uh, Tennessee. Holy cow. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. That's when we first met. And I, uh, you, had, you were wearing a pair of uh, nice uh, sneakers, I think, suede or something, and it uh, coolant leaked out all over your uh your shoes there i'm sorry about that that's yeah. right i remember that yeah we had a casualty on that uh yeah i remember yeah, that yeah. one all right yeah that's the first, that's the first Steve? time we uh, met and yeah. at least at the, at the same time yeah. that's right yeah yeah okay. Steve, you mentioned you had a belly pan did you put a belly pan from the bottom of the bearing on the bumper back across did you go above the front axle and how far back did so, you come uh, there's there's a gap the uh the front splitter goes back to the uh back of the bumper you know the curve you know and it, it it's it's that back bumper so it's a little bit more than what the original international one is so i, I don't have the numbers right but you know i got a couple of feet there uh and then there's a gap before the uh, steer axle and in between the fuel tanks in front of just at the front of that, I curve it up. So, um, you know, the, the air is, is kind of naturally going to go um, down and underneath rather than trying to shove it past a transmission and all that. So, I mean, I, I've never done, I've never put a camera in there and it's uh 
ribbons and stuff. And I guess I probably kind of like to do that to, you know, prove my, my theory here. It just makes the most sense to me and uh, it's working. So, uh, and it's not my focus right now. My focus is, uh, um, trailer aerodynamics. So at some point, maybe I'll do that, you know, I'll have some kind of portable camera sets, uh, set up that I can put around in different places. But I would like to see that because it, it, it would be nice because uh, if you can truck manufacturers to do that, you could have smaller radiators, you know, narrower in the front and uh, improve the aerodynamics. So. Which would be nice. Yeah, um, you know, almost all the new cars, at least the Volvos and the Audis, have a belly pan. It takes longer to take the belly pan off and on <laughs> than it does to change the oil. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, it it does keep it clean underneath. So I take yeah. the belly pan down and I wash it, and then I do my oil change and put it all back up. But. Uh, uh, it certainly has doubled the length of time. Well, the uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, something I would redesign. I would definitely have uh, panels that uh, are removable, but it's one of the first things I did. It's one great big piece. And uh, uh, when we were putting the truck back together at, uh, at your shop there, I was going to, uh, you know, do that, have separate panels, but we were kind of getting rushed for time, so... I put the damn thing back on, and I'm still uh, putting up with it. But I'm not going to get rid of it because I know it uh, it helps my efficiency. So mm -hmm. uh, I'll put up with a lot, uh, you know, to save fuel. <laughs> That's right. You know, I'll let the, the truck manufacturers should be working on this, not me. You know, uh, I mean, well, the, they they should be, uh, but the accountants won't let them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, maybe that's why I should. Uh, uh, take pictures underneath the, uh, or video uh, underneath the hood when I'm going down the road to see what the, yeah. how the air is flowing there. See what's it, it going on in there. Sense in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes more sense to have it going underneath uh, smoothly and moving through the radiator faster. So There you go. So anyway, that's all. All right, good stuff. So being you want to... Being you want to work on trailers, I, I've had this thought for years. I've been towing trailers since 1971, not necessarily freight trailers, but race car trailers, boats, and motorcycle trailers, snowmobile trailers. And the easiest thing I've ever towed down the highway is a boat. And if you think of the hull, the way it's made to turn the water down and away, it's turning the air the same way. And I've talked to several people about copying the hull of a boat and putting it under the trailer, but nobody's done it. So I'll just well, pass that thought on to you. Yeah. Well, uh, we're working on uh, some stuff, uh, a fairing for in front of the axle. It kind of looks like a, a catamaran, sort of. <laughs> yeah. It, you'd be interested in seeing hey, it when, uh, when we're done. Hey, Bruce, you know why you don't see a lot of that kind of work being done on a trailer? Because of the um, 
people that a lot of times pull dry bands or switching trailers. That's some. Um, the other thing is with fleets, an issue for them with trailers is is return on investment. If they make a change for fuel economy on a truck, it's one to one. You have one truck. You know, for every truck, you have to put a device on or whatever it is you're doing. Most fleets run three to four trailers per truck. So now they have to spend four times as more, but they don't get four times the benefit. They have to, uh, if they're going to make the modification, they have to do it to three to four times more trailers, but you're not getting three to four times more the of a benefit that's why we don't see a lot of this happening on trailers but the other thing is we've got another problem the interior configuration nobody wants to lose any space in there you can't lose width you can't lose height you need every bit of that cubic space inside that trailer and on the outside of the trailer we're pushing all the legal dimensions already so you can't really change shape on a trailer at all because of the the dimensions. There's just no place to go. Right. Well, I, if I can know a ranger, a raindrop is the most aerodynamic thing because it's shaped by the wind. And if you look at a fuselage of an airplane, it's basically a stretched out raindrop. Yeah. But, um, so that that's not exactly true. Uh, it would be better if it was pointed in the front and pointed in the back. Uh, the reason it's rounded in the front is because it's a fluid and, the, um, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, going into the wind, it gets rounded. But, uh, yeah, if it's pointed in the front and pointed in the back, that's even better. But uh, uh, since you're talking about this in, uh, in front of, uh, or we were talking about in front of the axle, um, I was going to let Matt introduce this, but uh, Matt spent a week here uh, this week, and we did some some work on his truck and trailer. And he had a, a fuel tank. Uh, well, he's got two big fuel tanks sideways, you know, uh, uh, underneath the trailer. And it's like, wow, that's a that's that's a problem, you know. <laughs> telling him to turn him turn him uh, lengthwise, you know. But the one he had one right behind the. Uh, um, under tray so i'm laying under there and i'm looking and i go holy smokes you can see how much air is is being funneled to the middle because you know that tail section on the under tray it kind of curves in on top and it brings the air on the side on top of that little tail section and normally a lot of air gets pushed to the side because of the the um, under tray but he has a tank that's a full width so it was forcing more in the middle, and I and I could go underneath, and I looked, and you could see the water is just following the tank. Uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, the spray in that is is following the curve of the uh, the tank, because air does what air does; it follows curves. So um, I said, "Wow, we gotta we gotta do something about this." So I made kind of a wait for the. The bottom of the tank, straight back. Uh, I I don't know. Matt could tell you how many he measured that stuff. I don't know. It was a couple of feet, and uh, uh, I I think it's going to be pretty significant. And then we put uh, axle diffusers on too. So um, excellent. I'm hoping excellent. Put, well, we had we put cab extenders and roof extender on the truck, and we did quite a quite a bit of work this week. So I I saw right, some so of the pictures. It looked interesting. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it was a. It, I was kind of excited going under there and seeing that. I go, wow, maybe people will start putting uh, fuel tanks uh, behind their <laughs> behind their uh, their under trays, and uh, you know. Could, uh, but eventually, the uh, the fairing that we're working on for in front of the, uh, the axle would uh, would be ideal. Excellent. Now it's true that the the four to one with the trailers that. The one thing with trailers is they they keep them a lot longer. That's true too. Yeah, so, but it, you, know, you, you know you know how these fleets are. They're not spending a bunch of money for fuel economy. They're just not doing it. Oh yeah, well, they should be. I know they should. I, well, I, I, I yeah, I agree. They they just don't. You know, I don't know if I want to get involved. With, I don't know if I want to get involved with the fleets right away anyway because uh, you know they might buy a bunch of your stuff and then sue you out of existence. So we'll, We'll leave the name I, out of it right now. I, yeah. I can tell you that I gave up on fleets a long time ago. It is a, it, it's it's yeah. just it's just no fun uh, for a lot of reasons. But uh, yeah, all right, Steve. Thanks. Um, we got it uh, right from the source. I appreciate it. We'll keep an eye on uh, hey, hey, Kevin. Matt. Kevin, yeah. you said you gave up dealing to try to deal with fleets. Yeah. Oh yeah, I tried that. 45 years ago. Yeah, it wasn't quite 45 years, but about 30 years ago for me, I thought, look, I can save one owner-operator $5,000 a year on fuel. Think about what I could do for a fleet that has 1,000 trucks. You know, you get it, the numbers are so big, and you think, why wouldn't they do this? And you go to the fleets, and what a nightmare that was trying to work with them. Well, peak ready mix. They have many locations in Colorado, cement mixers. And I told you the story before. And they're based out of Utah. And they're, they cover the Northwest. They buy 1,000 EGR valves every year and just replace them <laughs> randomly. <laughs> so they're, they're one of their general managers or maintenance superintendent of the place in um Silverthorne, Colorado. Uh, I got him on the catalyst and he really liked it. And he started using it. And they had a female operator and she limped the one truck in the steamboat. And he met her there and he treated it with the catalyst. And within about 20 minutes, the check engine lights went away and the cement mixer ran fine. So they ran the catalyst for a year with zero problems, zero wow. downtime. But the powers to be in Salt Lake said, why is your fuel bill higher? <laughs> and so we're using max mileage fuel borne catalyst, but we have no breakdowns. And the people in their glass palace in Salt Lake said that your fuel bills are higher. Yep. I so know. the general manager took a position in Hawaii and the maintenance superintendent went out on his own and now he's helping the, the uh, cement company out of Breckenridge and they're running the catalyst and they have zero problems now. And Peak Ready Mix is back to having all their <laughs> emission nightmares. Yep, I know. And so I, I just shake my head. Yeah. I, I, uh, <clears throat> That's that's how it goes, and then you just go back to working with I, the I owner operators. I, I know. I mean, there's yep. so many. Yeah, yep. there's so many stoneheads. Yeah, I get it. And, and I can say this: 
You know, 45 years ago, I didn't know what made a diesel engine run. And I listened. I had a lot of owner-operators that did their own work would come to see me to get fuel pumps, injectors, water pumps, turbos, and things like that. And I listened. And I'd go to their shops, and I'd help them. And then I got to meet Mark Chappell, the Cummins engineer, and spent time at the Cummins factory. And I would listen and listen and listen and take notes and try. Hey, hey, wait a minute. If Bruce, I was a stonehead, all this stuff. You're forgetting something really important. You would okay. listen and listen and listen, but there's something else you do a lot that most people don't. Try. You ask a lot of questions. Every time I'm with you, every time we meet somebody, you are, you just like, you interrogate people almost, but that's how you learn. You ask questions all the time. Yeah. So we wouldn't be where we were if we didn't ask those questions. No, and we that's didn't right. Try. Yep, that's right. All right. Speaking of trying, we better try and get to the phones because they are uh, piling up on us. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? My my turbo. How's that for good timing? I'm on the way to Pittsburgh Power and my turbo decides to die. (laughs) But I made it here. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, when they, I pulled it in this morning and they hooked up to it and everything, and he says, oh, you got, um, well, I'd take it for a drive first, get it up to temperature, but um, it had 35 occurrences yesterday where, where the VGT wasn't working properly. Was I talking to you yesterday and you had a boost problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we know yeah, what your boost problem is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the VGT wasn't working. So there, I think that was my first question. Make... I think I asked you if you had a VGT because I couldn't yeah. remember. Yeah. 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 Well, yesterday I didn't because it wasn't yeah. working. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I could only get <laughs> 20, 20 pounds of boost. It was like driving an old three fifty. Yeah. There you go. Or something. I don't know. So, there you yeah. go. Um. So, but yeah, it's in the shop on time, scheduled maintenance, but uh. The turbo got added, but we'll get it done. They got the DPF filter out, and the guy said it looks pretty good. He's going to clean it, so that'll be getting barbecued today and tonight. So, yeah. There you go. Excellent. Hopefully, I'll be be out of here by Thursday night, hopefully. I've got other stuff needs doing as well, but, yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I just got a... uh I just got an interesting picture. Looks like I'll be, uh, I'll have something to do this afternoon. Lisa just sent me a picture of the Sprinter, and the back window is just shattered out of it. Wonder what happened. Oh, there goes money. Uh, yeah, I know. I think she's right down by the warehouse. Oh. I wonder what the hell happened. Um, one other thing. When I when I got here last night, I don't know if Eric sent you the pictures, Bruce, but I decided I'd. I hadn't cleaned Dorothy out for 50,000 miles. So I took the, the bowl off Dorothy, and what a waste of time that was because I got about a quarter of a teaspoon of soot out of it in 50,000 miles <laughs> using the catalyst. That's good. So, yeah, so 
Kevin, uh, Bruce had to step away for just a moment, so he didn't hear that. But I will relate oh, that okay. to uh, to you, okay, when he gets back. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, Kevin, I mean, that's yeah. unfortunately why we had to stop making the Dorothys. And they they I, did their job, <laughs> and it was great because people could see, wow, look how much I'm catching. And then we started selling the catalyst and got virtually nothing out of them after, after that. So I, it was a great idea having that Dorothy on there, uh, but then the next product kind of uh, made it obsolete. I remember when that was happening. I remember like every week I had people where they were sending me pictures from the Dorothy. Look at all the soot I got. Look at all the soot I got. Then those pictures started disappearing. I'm like, what's going on? Is everybody, you know, did everybody just quit doing it? They're like, now we don't capture anything anymore. We started using the catalyst and it was a really clear pattern. And that was good proof to show people. And it kind of worked out well that it would show people how, well, the catalyst worked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a really good visual of, you know, look at all the soot that's being caught, which is good. The Dorothy was working, so that was helping solve the problem. But then when we started putting the catalyst in, it, there was just nothing being caught in the Dorothy anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, uh, let's go to Texas. Rusty, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, got more questions about my high soot in my oil from last week. Um, I tested the charge air cooler and it held 20 pounds of pressure for about three hours. So I guess we can mark that off the list of problems. Well, did you check the whole system or just the air to air? Well, I, I checked the air to air and first I wanted to make sure that mm-hmm. it wasn't leaking. And, and then I did, I don't know for sure how to check the rest of the system. I did, I did, uh, you know, a uh, couple the left side of the, uh, charger cooler back up to the, to the intake and I, and I blew air through the turbo side, um, but you, I couldn't make much pressure. I mean, there's, it's, you know, it's, I've, I've heard it leaks through a valve, so I don't know how to check it beyond what I did with the charger cooler. Okay, so when we test the whole system, and we normally introduce the air into the uh, clean air side of the turbo, and then pressurize both pipes going to the air to air and the intake manifold, and you will lose air from the uh, open valve. If you have a regulated source that'll maintain, you know, enough pressure to check it. And you kind of just listen and feel around you know, the intake manifold as it cracks. Is the intake manifold mounting gas that's leaking? Uh, the hose that goes to the air compressor from the intake is it leaking there? And there's other places for it to leak. I mean, the test you did was valid with the hooking that pipe back up. So I would think something would have showed up when you did that. Okay, well, I basically did what you said. I probably didn't check around the intake gasket, uh, but I did just I did just leave pressure to it. It would only, you know, I could only get it up to about 10. It would only hold about 10 pounds of pressure. But while it was, while it was sustaining the 10 pounds of pressure because it was hooked up to the air hose, I did spray around um, and never, I couldn't hear anything. And I didn't see any bubbles coming up from soapy water. Uh, 
but I probably didn't. I didn't hit the actual manifold itself, so I guess I could redo that. But um, yeah, I guess that's that's what I've done, and I just was going to see if y'all had any more ideas before I just got it in the shop somewhere. How many miles are in the overhead? Uh, about uh, 30,000. 30, and you have this prior to setting the overhead, correct? That's right, yeah. Yep. Had it for, I've had it for a couple of years. I, mean, I didn't realize that I, was, I had a problem, but looking back, I, I've had it for a couple of years. And how many miles are in the injectors? They are uh, various mileages, but they've all been replaced in the last two years. Okay. So, what's I don't have some any, uh, fuel, dilution, fuel dilution to speak of. So. That's good. And we've had some engines where the oil analysis shows high soot, and, and we've checked everything. Um, and, and it's just a dirty engine, and we don't know why. <laughs> That's not the first time we've seen that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the first, uh, I don't know, 60, 70,000 miles on this it used engine that I put in it, it, it didn't show to have high soot. So, I don't know. And you only have oil consumption, correct? Um, I mean, you know, it's got... 650,000 on it, and I'm using about a gallon every 5,000. Okay, so nothing crazy. Yep. But, and other than that, uh, the fuel mileage is good. Uh, you know, my exhaust is just a standard exhaust with y'all's muffler. One question I did, well, I, I took the muffler out from under the truck, and I stuck it up the back so I could have a uh, so I can get rid of the exhaust underneath the truck. Mm-hmm. And I, there is a slight chance I put that thing in upside down. So uh, did you have the quiet performance or the performance support muffler? The quiet. Okay. That's the long one. Yes, it's directional. I don't think it'd be a huge difference. I've never, I, I know, I'm sure you're not the only person that's went in backwards, but I don't ever recall someone having a soot issue because of that. It's going to change it a little bit with some turbulence, but I don't think enough that, that would give you an issue with soot. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll plug it back in and uh, I've got a really good Cummins guy. I'm, I can get it to him and if I just completely struck out, I'm going to try to get it get up to y'all uh, at some point. The, but the question, should I change the oil? I mean, I know we, I talked to, I talk, we talked about it a little bit last week, but how long should I run the oil? I mean, it's affecting efficiency. Is it affecting, like, I guess it's not affecting much wear. I'm not having wear metals. But. Now, the, believe it or not, the new oils can handle their claim, and we haven't really tested this claim, but their claim on a lot of these new oils is the oil has the ability to handle up to six to seven percent soot without causing any damage to the engine. The oil keeps it dispersed so that it doesn't 
what's the word, like aggregator conglomerate so it could cause damage. The oil does that. So we've never tested it to see if you can get that much soot in the oil and and still not get wear metals. But if they're claiming six or seven and you're at, you know, 2.3, yeah, the, the only real downside to this is it is hurting fuel economy some because you see what it does to the viscosity. You know, a, a, a good 30 weight, the new 30 weight oils, the viscosity is in the 12 range and you're in 18. Hey, that, that's thick oil. So the, the soot is causing the oil to thicken, but the oil itself is keeping it from causing any damage to the engine. So uh, one more thing, and you kind of shut this down uh, last time I talked to you, last oil sample, but I, I asked about putting in a synthetic at, uh, makeup oil to kind of make a blend to, to potentially thin the oil a little bit to where it would uh, possibly protect more, and you thought that would be, uh, you know, just putting a Band-Aid on a problem, but having kind of done some research i know i don't have a major boost leak on the charger cooler and whatnot and if we're going to kind of just run it and see what happens should i try that now you could yeah it's not going to hurt anything yeah so you could give that a shot it might burn a little more but i doubt it i mean because where you are at 18 on viscosity you could come all the way down we don't see engines start to burn more until your viscosity viscosity gets under like 14 you have a long way to go still you could thin out that oil quite a bit and not get down there okay well i'll I'll keep looking for the problem but i may try that until okay uh there you go figure out something so all right guys thank you you're welcome let's go to south carolina this time eric welcome to the program yeah so i had that same issue with the dorothy but um you know, when I first put the Dorothy in, it worked really good on my CM twenty three fifty, and then I started using the catalyst, and it stopped working. So what I did was took a stainless steel screen for a uh, screen door and made about a two inch ball and put it in the bottom of it, and it helped out tremendously. Huh? Stainless. Stainless steel screen in the bottom of the Dorothy yeah. will collect more soot. Really? Will collect more soot out of the Dorothy while you, even while you're using the catalyst. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yep. you uh, you That's modified the, the Dorothy. I, <laughs> I, I, I did. I just took some screen, some stainless steel screen, but it made about a two-inch ball and dropped down in there. Huh. Okay. Good huh. thinking. So... The reason that I called, uh, my brother called me uh, Saturday and sent me a bunch of pictures of a barn find that he found. Um, and I'm I'm gonna buy this thing, and I, but I don't know really a whole lot about it. It's a 1979 Chevy C75 with a 453T Detroit in it. No and clue. It, and and from the pictures, I was hoping Pete might. No, unfortunately, with the older Detroit, zero experience with that. I, I was figuring that you were going to call something with a Cummins in it. Yeah, I've never even no heard idea. of that engine. Yeah, it's a uh, it's 
it's basically a uh, three and a half liter of uh, a 175 horsepower engine and it almost looks like it's got a uh, it's got a turbo on the left on the right side of it and on the le- and the tube feeds over onto the left and it looks like it's got that that the turbo feeds into a blower but uh yeah I'm just really Wait. really curious about this engine Wait a minute. Three I'm doing and everything that I can how, to find out about it how big is this truck it it's a uh it's a it's a eighteen foot service body with a with a thousand uh, pound crane on it. Huh. Okay. Because I was thinking that was like a, a class five. It seems like a small engine. Huh. I don't know. Three, it might be three three and a half liters. It's uh, uh thirty five. What is it? Fifty. It's fifty three cubic inches. Is it four cylinder? Yeah, it's a four cylinder. Four cylinder, okay. Huh. I know nothing well, about it. Never 60, even heard of it. Sixty or sixty-two cubic inch, one liter. Fifty, fifty-three cubic inch, uh, and I think it's about a three and a half liter. Um, oh, one liter is sixty-one cubic. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it, that that's correct what because what the it, the f- five liter was like the three oh two in in Ford. So yeah, that's right. That's the easy math on that one. So that's sixty, almost exactly. Yeah. If you just take the a three sixty cubic inches, five point nine liter, and divide it, yeah, out, there you comes go. Comes out to sixty one. Yep, that's right. Well, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to have some fun with it because it 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 just seems interesting to me. It, it's, 500 bucks. It's, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just just for the fun of it, that is that's worth it. I could, I could part the crane it. off of it. Yeah, I could I could part the crane off of it for that. You know, exactly. it's got uh, yeah a uh, full hydraulic crane on it. But yeah, I was just curious if, if uh, anybody knew about that. So I yeah. guess I'll do some more digging and see if I can find somebody that knows a little bit. Post some pictures. I appreciate you guys. Oh, I, I'm going to as soon as I get it up to the house. Good, good. I got I got two pictures of the body. I can, I can post those. It's, it's ugly as hell. <laughs> the hood needs to be replaced. Yeah, yeah. Get some pictures of the engine. I'd like to see it. Yep, with your will. All right, thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to Pennsylvania. Charlie, welcome to the program. Well, hello there, gentlemen. I sent an oil sample that I'm a little concerned about. Last Let week, me Charlie. go take a look and see what we've got. Uh, and I did have to put the tires on this truck. Because of going through inspection, state inspection. I did put notations in on Friday's fuel up of what I took off of what I put on and why I did it. Oh, so what do we got going on here? Um, so we've got... That's what I one, don't know, what that uh, spike is. Hold on. We've got 1.5 million on the engine, is that correct? Yeah, since the uh, rebuild. Now, the bearings, 
that I rode in in February, I can't remember the mileage on that. But it was like three samples ago when the lead went back down was when I put the bearings in. Okay. And so, now it's spiked again. So that would have been around March of this year. Um, so, yes. Bruce, Pete, here's what we're looking at. Back in March of this year, his lead spiked up to 67. Did you call me on that sample? I think I remember talking about this one. Yeah, because you advised me to roll a set of berries in it, and so did Bruce, so that's what I did. That's what I thought. So, yeah, back in March, we spiked at 67. I said, you know, it's high mileage. We probably are finally seeing some bearing wear. Put some bearings in it. But now we've spiked at 52 again. You know, the last two samples, the lead went down to 17, and I figured 17 is actually a little high, but those were new bearings, so you get a little bit of wear. Then it dropped to 10. That's a good pattern, but now it's jumped up to 52 again. What do we think is causing this bearing wear? What did the other bearings look like when you pulled them out in February or March? Bruce, do you still have them pictures I emailed you or sent to you? Mm. I probably do. I'll have to go back and look. And because uh, I, you were you were out of town, and I pretty sure it was the I emailed them to you, either email or messenger, one of the two. I think it was email. The what month was that? Would have been March. Do you recall them looking funny, Charlie? Do they look unusual or just general average wear? Anything stand out? Number number five, main. they had to polish the crank. It was that bad. Yeah. Number five was that bad. The rod bearings was good. They wasn't really worn out bad. It was the main bearings. All right, I'm back into, let me go to the beginning of March. And that's unusual. Normally, the rod bearings take the beating where the mains do. I mean, unless someone had changed rod bearings at some point, um, the main bearings should be in better shape. The bearings was never changed from the initial rebuild. Because when we pulled it apart the last time, when it popped the head bolt, and they finally cut the other five counterbars, the only thing we put in new was the sleeves and the rings. We, I told them to reuse everything else because it only had 380,000 miles on it. Charlie, what's your email address start with? Uh, Charles.Bizer. Okay. I'm not seeing it for some reason. Let me go back uh, through here. I'm looking all through my march. Now, were they all worn differently, Charlie? Yeah, they were all different. But number five was the worst. 
Yeah, I'm wondering if we have the same thing occurring with you know, just one bearing causing most of this problem. Now, when I pull my sample, uh, the bypass that I have on here, the tube is underneath the unit. So I'm just wondering if there's anything that would have stuck in there and possibly finally came out. I got to pull another sample in about 10,000 miles. And we're going to see what it looked like then. But I was a little concerned. And actually, the soot came back up. So my soot had dropped way down on this 60 series 14 meter. How high did the soot come up? Uh, let's soot uh, 1.7 uh, historically when we look back uh, 1.2 1.6 0.7 0.8 and 1.7 so it's never been you know super clean we've we've kind of always been right around that you know 0.7 to about one and a half or so and soot doesn't affect bearings. It's right. more of a metal-to-metal contact. Right, yeah. The soot's not, not the problem. You, you think we've just got, you know, so many miles on this thing? We've just, uh, it's probably a bunch of little things all adding up? I think it's line bore. Line bore. Line bore, yeah. bent cranks. Yeah. Uh, so normally what we do, like a couple of weeks ago, we had that N14 in here. We, we lay, then I sent you the pictures. We lay the bearings out as they were in order. And you look for, you know, uneven and unusual wear because it, generally they should wear pretty close to the same, you know, all seven main bearings. Yeah. In the same position, not left side, right side, you know, that kind of stuff. And when we see it being off like that, that usually indicates a, a line bore issue. Now on that N14, we had an oil pressure issue. Um, why we rolled the bearings in and we did have one bearing that was far worse than the other ones fortunately the crank looked okay my thought is if we have another analysis that shows where it might be worth dropping the pan and dropping the main bearing down that was worn the last time to see if it is also worn yeah, you know, we're, we had a slight okay. bump up in copper. Well, you know, it was two and three, and now it's five. We we may already be seeing some copper out of this bearing. Now, what about the oil cooler? Because it's never been changed on this truck. Would have almost nothing to do with this. No, it would have nothing to do okay, with this. Okay, Bruce yeah. Ice. I just resent you the pictures of the bearing spruce and an email. I, I went back to January and I'm looking. So, all right, let me go on. Yeah, they're not here yet. So, okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with Pete. I, I think you're probably even when we look at the other bearings, I, I think you're probably gonna end up pulling the pan on this again. 
Okay. Yeah, but so it's number five. <laughs> they're not here yet, so they're somewhere in cyberspace. So, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I should have emailed them this morning too. No, that's a, like I, I like I say. I I don't know that it's going to tell us much to look at the old ones. I think we're going to have to look at these, see what's going on. Okay. All right, well, I'll have to uh, I'll have to get it set up to get it in. Get the pan dropped off of her. Do another table first. I, I would. Yeah, it can't hurt. Right. Yeah, can't That's hurt. That's what it. I was thinking. Can't hurt at this point. You've you've got some time if we're just now starting to get into the copper a little bit. I'd wait for another sample. Yeah. Because I don't know if I might have contaminated the sample. I didn't drain anything no. out of the tube like no, I had I, been. I had been draining a little bit out in the, like a Coca-Cola cup to go cup and then pour my sample. Well, you can. It usually doesn't make a lot of difference. But uh, I, I would just wait till we see another one. Because... Anything in the bottom of that is going to stay there because I don't wipe it out. Okay. It's a filter that sets down inside. It's a cartridge filter instead of a stand on. Yeah. Well, give, give, do another one and uh, let's see what we got. Hi. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to North Dakota this time. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I got a 2000 International 9400i with a N14 at the 2592 on there. And I checked the antifreeze level on last Wednesday. It was plumb full. I checked it on Thursday, and it was down at a half. And then I checked it again on Saturday before I headed out, and it was back full again. I recently had an injector replaced, but the oil is also over the full mark of where I was when I did my last oil or last check. So So I'm sitting here stumped. Let's go back to the coolant thing for a second. You say you checked it and it was half full. What are, what were you checking that was only half full? Can't be the whole system. The reservoir. The reservoir. The top okay. Of, yeah. The reservoir went to being half to being full. Right. And then back down to half and back up to full. Without me adding any fluid to it. Isn't that somewhat n- normal on some trucks? I mean, we're we're not dropping low enough to set off any sensors, right? Halfway down on the tank, I don't think it's a big deal. Right. Yeah, I don't know that I'd right. be too concerned about that. Um, I just keep an eye on it. I don't know what we would do to try to figure that out right now. But I've seen trucks that that level just fluctuates some. Um, if it doesn't go low enough to cause a problem, I don't think I'd worry too much about it right now. But you're also saying you 
you have more oil than what you had the last time you checked? Correct. How much more? It's been, uh, it's up probably a half a gallon over the full mark. That's a lot. I agree. That's what made me concerned is somehow, you know, I didn't know if it was the antifreeze or I recently, about a month ago, I had an injector replaced and it's been stable since then. I'm just trying to figure out where to go. Well, if, if we saw the coolant drop and the oil go up and that's all that happened, you might assume the coolant went into the oil. But if the coolant went into the oil and that raised or the... Yeah, the coolant went in, the oil raised the oil, the but the coolant came back up. So that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, um, I Well, the first thing I would do here is do an oil sample. Let, let's figure out what... I got one on the way. Yeah, let, let's just do an oil sample. I mean, I, the only thing I'm thinking, the only two things that can add volume would be coolant and fuel, right? There's nothing else that could get right. in there. Huh. Yeah, I'd wait for a sample. All right. The other question I have is the charger, or not the charger, the air dryer. Uh, I've had this happen on a couple trucks where it bursts on the, the drying segment. All of a sudden, every so often, it'll sound like it's purging repeatedly i i always think of it as machine gun going off but i didn't know if we had any ideas on what could be causing that uh dirt in the purge valve okay it's one thing that could cause it so i'd certainly you know clean the air system drain all your tanks you know get it good and clean and i'd check that purge valve itself okay where are you? Where are you located? Is it high humidity? Uh, Midwest, Minnesota, North Dakota, uh, make it down mm-hmm. in Illinois. Okay. So I think the high humidity could be making the air dryer work harder. And right now, uh, in the east, we have a lot of humidity. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Okay, well, Always. there's two questions. I had another one, but I can't remember it, so. All right. Well, we can't remember the answer oh. to it either. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know what the oil sample says. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. What? I never ahead, did get. Wait, I never did get Charlie's pictures. I hope he remembered to put an H on the back of Pittsburgh and ends an H. So I did not get the pictures. And speaking of humidity, heat and humidity displace oxygen. So when it's 95 degrees out and 95% humidity, your truck will not run as good as uh, good point. a cool, dry, 60-degree day. Those, those clear, crisp fall days are about as good as it gets. That's right. Yep. All right. Let's. right. Uh, we're going to take one more call. We're going to head off to Texas. Norman, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call, Kevin. Uh, yes, uh, about my... Uh, my uh, oil sample results, sir. Did you send it in? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, what's the name on it? Um, uh, my name Norman. Huh. I don't have it. 
Oh, hold on. Angie just sent it to me. Never mind. I do have it. Let's see. So a 3406E, what year? Uh, 1999, sir. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, 174,000 miles, I'm assuming, on an in-frame. Uh, actually, it's a, it's a overhaul. Okay. Yes, and yes, and 144,000 miles on the oil, is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, everything looks good down there. The condition of the oil is just fine. So the engine is, you know, performing well. We're not, you know, we don't have any fuel dilution. We don't have any soot. Uh, Viscosity is holding up well. Base holds up really well. We have some weird kind of readings on wear metals. Um, yes, sir, that's what I'm Again, boy, here we go. Um Guys, we've got 174,000 miles on this um, rebuild, and it looks like we have bearing issues. We've got both lead and copper. Hmm. And how many samples has he done? Is this something that's reoccurring, or it's, it's, were the other samples fine? So if we go oh, back to... 2021 when we just had 65,000 miles on the oil or, or, or on the in frame itself the rebuild um, that's the oldest sample I have access to here um, the history is lead was 11 14 27 26 27 and copper was 8 8 11 12 and 12 so it's almost like we've been getting some bearing wear right from the right from the beginning. Were these genuine cap parts you put in? Yes, sir. Uh, I, re- I uh, yeah, I rebuilt that uh, engine uh, 20, uh, August twenty twenty. You know, one of the things I would do here, Norman, um, since you've gotten you know, 175,000 miles out of this oil and where metals do accumulate, I think we need to see a new sample on new oil. So I, I have you changed the oil on this yet? Um, uh, th- that's my third uh, uh, oil change, but I'm thinking about well, switching to... Uh, well, well, wait a minute. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I want to be clear on something here. Do you ha- has it been a hundred and seventy four thousand miles since you changed the oil? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. that's my third uh, oil change. Oh, I see what you're saying. In a hundred and seventy, well, no, more than that. Uh, since yeah. you've done the in frame, there's been three oil changes, but the oil that's in it right now has a hundred and seventy four thousand miles on it. Uh, correct. Okay. Here's what I would do. I would change the oil right now. Let's reset and see what the sample looks like after we change it. Because where metals do accumulate, and these have been accumulating oh. for the last five samples, Let, let's see a new sample and see what's going on. Okay. Oh, uh, Kevin, uh, is it uh, the best way now to go to a synthetic 5W40 or just go for you- the... the- 
you could switch to w No, you could switch to synthetic. Okay. You'd be fine. That doesn't have any real impact on the bearings. If anything, I would go with Rotella just because it's got a lot of zinc in it. So yeah. it actually helps protect the bearings some. Uh, yeah, I'd switch to synthetic. That's not a problem. But then let's do let's do your next. You know what? I would wait twenty five thousand. Just just do a full twenty five thousand mile sample after you change the oil. Okay. 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 Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, all right. Let's see here. I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, hey, Angie, if you could let Stan know, I see Stan's in here for the pit, that I'm going to restart, so he's going to have to call back in. Um, and he can blame it on Aaron. Aaron wants me to restart. Uh, just a couple things. We'll wrap this up, see if anybody else has anything. So uh, I had mentioned earlier that Lisa sent me a picture of the back window shattered in the sprinter. Um, Bruce, it was done by a weed whacker. Yeah. Yeah, she was down yeah. at the warehouse. Yeah. Somebody was landscaping down there at the weed whacker and hit a put a rock right through the back windshield, back window. Is she still in Ohio? No, she's here now. She's right down at the warehouse. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's back home. Wow. I know. I know. That's a big tinted window. What a pain that's going to be. Um, getting work done on anything right now is so hard, too. That's the biggest problem. Uh, one other thing, Bruce. Um, I know you and I both started uh, slalom skiing, and that was kind of what we did for years. And then I finally got, I used to laugh at people on wakeboards. I'm like, that's so stupid. Why would you do that? And then the first time I wakeboard, I fell in love with it. Um, I have got a new water sport. What's that? It is called wing foiling. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So you actually have a wing, like a kite wing kind of thing. It's inflatable. You inflate the leading mm-hmm. edge of it, and you hold on yeah. to that kite. You just It has different handholds all over it, and you hold the kite mm-hmm. in your hands, and then the wakeboard, they put a foil on the wakeboard. So it's a pole that comes down like the keel on a sailboat almost. And at the bottom of that pole, and the pole's, I don't know, two or three feet. um, At the bottom of the pole is another wing that's underwater. And when you get enough speed and there's this rocking motion you do, the, the wakeboard itself comes off the surface of the water a foot or two, and you're riding on that hydrofoil that's underwater. You don't feel the water at all there's no slap there's no spray there's no bounce it is just perfectly smooth and then if you want you can use that foil like you lean forward a little bit on your board and the your board will dive back down into the water then you lean back and it'll launch you out of the water you can get all kinds of air with this thing are you doing that in the columbia yes yeah that's the that's like the new thing here now when did you start this? I haven't yet. I've been doing all the research. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to buy the wing. And you can actually use the wing on a stand-up paddleboard, too. 
and I have a stand-up paddleboard, so I'm going to use that to practice because the board is really stable because you can just stand on it. And it's nice and stable, so I'll learn how to use the wing, and then I'll go get me a new wakeboard and a foil. Hmm. Yeah, okay. looks pretty interesting. So, well, all right. Good for you. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad you're still young enough to do that. Well, I don't know if I am or not, but I'm going to give it a try. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody have anything they want to close with today? I still didn't get uh, Charlie's pictures. Okay. All right. Sounds like we're good. We're going to wrap this up. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.